pleasant of you to join us. This party's over. Brave, mademoiselle. Foolish, my old Jedi friend. You're impossibly outnumbered. I don't think so. We'll see. Roger Brandstetter. What up, Raj? Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I just saw you a few days ago, so I wish we would have actually done this then. <laughs> yeah, I drunkenly took that uh, that selfie of us, and it's not particularly flattering, but uh, if you want to follow me at Raj15Podge on Instagram, you might be able to see it, because I'm uh, probably going to post it right now. No, don't post it if it's not flattering. <laughs> it's not flattered for me. You look gorgeous, as always. Oh, thanks. Um, but yeah, welcome everybody back to the pod. Um, if you missed the first one for whatever reason, we are going through all the Star Wars movies and kind of just recapping them, giving um, them a good review, our thoughts. Uh, up until The Last Jedi that comes out in December, we did The Phantom Menace uh, last week, I believe, and now we are doing Attack of the Clones, which me and Roger watched just this past Sunday when we were hungover as hell at his apartment because I went back to Madison for a weekend. That was a pretty good time, though. <laughs> yeah, that uh, those McDonald's breakfast sandwiches really helped the viewing experience. Otherwise, I don't know if these notes would have been completely coherent. Yeah, I think maybe that's why I don't have as many notes for this one is because I was a piece of piece of crap and I could not function very well. <laughs> There is that. Uh, I mean, we were discussing pre-pod that this one seems to have a little bit less plot than some of the other Star Wars. So, I mean, that's definitely part of it, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, it's odd in that it kind of feels like it's a, a place-setting Star Wars movie. I mean, when you really think back of it, I guess Episode One could have felt that way, too, because there wasn't so much of a, a mission at stake um, they're all just kind of doing things and going through the motions. It's all like could end up being one long movie because the actual plot is just getting Anakin to his final point of being Darth Vader, really. Yeah, I would concur with that. This seemed like it was the uh, the set before Episode Three spikes, so to speak, mixed sports metaphor, uh, just to set up how Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Yeah, I mean, think about it. They are called episodes, so maybe, you know, George Lucas was actually thinking of these as just long TV shows. You know, not every TV show has a, you know, beginning, middle, climax, conclusion um, for a singular story, unless you're talking about, like, Black Mirror. Yeah, I mean, this was still a pretty good Star Wars movie. It just didn't... and just didn't seem to have as much uh, meat on the plot. There was, I'm sorry, there were a lot of good set pieces. Uh, it just seems like there were two story beats instead of like 
2005, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, visually it looked better. I feel like this is where they started to get at that point that George Lucas wanted to get to with episode one and just having the technology caught up. Uh, there's a fully CGI Yoda, um, which we will get to in, uh, throughout the movie and especially Act 3. That's pretty baller. Um, that, I don't know, it just looked a little bit less forced. Uh, still a lot of green screen work, but it just seemed like the, the set pieces looked a little bit more realistic and there's not a giant Gungan army that sucked balls. Yeah, and um, I think just the time frame, I think, I don't, I didn't, I feel like we should probably know the years that all these came out, but... It was 02, I think. 02, the first episode one came out in, what, 99? Yeah. All right, yeah. I mean, two years is, I mean, in terms of CGI effects, the way that they've come out as a lifetime. They look significantly better um, to the point where, I mean, they use green screens for a lot of this movie. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, let's dive in to talk about the movie. We'll go um, take the usual route. We'll go act uh, act by act. Um, Got to mention beforehand, though, I uh, didn't mention this at the top of the pod, you can catch us on iTunes and Stitcher yet, but I did remove the SoundCloud fee, um, feed because I didn't want to pay a fee. Um, sorry about that. Unless you guys want to pay to subscribe, it's not happening no more. Uh, still want it to be as free as possible because, yeah, definitely just should be as free as possible. Um, act 1. I have written down that this is 10 years after Episode 1, so that's something to... Keep in mind, um, it's definitely not something when you're watching the movies, not like as overtly obvious. What do you, did you catch anything when we were watching? I really didn't, and I was just like, okay, this is just in the future. Obi-Wan looks older-ish. Obviously, Anakin is 10 feet taller. Um, yeah, Jake Lloyd grew into hating Christensen. It's truly miraculous. It's a really, really good work there by the actor. Um, Natalie Portman looks the same, so, um, yeah, what did you, what did you have written down for Act 1? Should I go through the, the sequence of events there first? Um, uh, yeah, probably. Okay, cool. Um, so first of all, we have, um, an attempted assassination on Padme. Uh, spoilers, another decoy in this case. That decoy happens to be one Rose Byrne, actually, so... Um, some pretty good A-list actors keep showing up as Padme's decoys. Um, they meet, uh, they being Obi-Wan and Anakin, they meet up with Padme, um, after all this time, you know, uh, Hayden Christensen's Anakin's been doing training, um, he is much older now, I believe he's supposed to still yet be eight-ish years younger than, uh, Queen Amidala, um, he definitely looks older, and I believe in real life he's only like six months younger than um, Natalie Portman. But they are assigned basically security duties. They have to watch over Padme. They decide to use Padme as a um, as live bait, or at least Anakin and Padme do these disgusting, large house poisonous centipedes um, come in and almost kill her. Um, 
and then they do the epic speeder chase where Obi-Wan Kenobi is just like, fuck it, I'm jumping out this window. And um, wouldn't be the last time that we saw a Jedi just take a leap of faith or use the Force, if you will. Um, and they chase over, chase after this changeling assassin. Um, anything so far? Yeah. So that elevator ride up to talk to Padme was bad. I mean, it was it was good acting, I guess, but the script is not yeah. great. Uh, I think Anakin at one point said he's feeling a little tense. There's a lot of uh, a lot of teen angst in this movie, as we'll discuss. But he's talking to obi-wan and and saying how tense he is and how all he's thought about over the past 10 years has been padme it's a little awkward for everyone (laughs) it's like your creepy friend talking about this girl from high school 10 years later it's just not it is borderline creepy i can get how it's supposed to be like moderately romantic and i don't this day and age though it's that's definitely creepy it's weird Yeah, it doesn't read well in 2017. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Anakin's mommy issues. I mean, he didn't have a father growing up, and he had to leave his mom when he was in the canon, nine years old. Um, Just a housekeeping thing. I think he's supposed to be four-ish years younger than Padme, so it's not, in theory, it's not totally creepy, but the way he approaches it, it's it's not great. Uh, She said something about how, oh, Anakin, you've grown up. He's like, oh, you've only grown more beautiful. <laughs> Just cringed as hard as I could. Cheese, cheese, cheese. Um, I, throughout the movie, actually took the liberty of just jotting down some red flags. Because um, I think this is really when you start to see the descent for Anakin to the dark side. Um, I mean, in the first movie, you had Anakin, who was mostly just a a sad little kid who doesn't want to leave his mommy but this one um immediately red flag he's just super desperate for padme and that sort of longing or desperation like you said you know kind of a mommy issues type of thing is just should have been a a ping on the radar for obi-wan and the boys yeah alter horn dog and the other creepy part is she is totally into it not early on but uh later on it's just not She's the one who says, I love you first, right before they're about to die in Act 3, and it's just it's just a very cringy movie. I do like it better than number one, but uh, <laughs> I the, do too. the quote-unquote love interest part of this is just not great. Yeah, the, the character development takes a weird turn, because we'll see this in Act 2, that Padme has some red flags as well. Um, she's not squeaky clean as much as we'd want her to be because she is the mother, obviously, of Luke and Leia. Turns um, out they're perfect for each other. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, Obi-Wan, of course, he drops the line, why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Um, that's because he is. He is literally going to kill you, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Talking to Anakin, BTW. Spoiler alert. Um, and... Throughout the first act, I mean, yeah, they catch that bounty hunter who was essentially poisoned and killed by Jango Fett before they can get some real answers. But um, throughout act one, you can kind of see um, how Anakin is already under um, Emperor Palpatine's thumb. Um, he really like appeals to Anakin's vanity in that one scene, talking about how 
powerful he could be and just really playing up um, Anakin's arrogance, which I already um, had written down as another red flag because this guy just thinks he is, you know, king shit. And I think, like, all that Chosen One stuff definitely went to his head, um, which probably not too smart to tell somebody you're the Chosen One unless you're LeBron James. Yeah, he is a legit case. Uh, Anakin, it's still pretty early. I mean, he's driving recklessly, as teens do, uh, making questionable comments to females. Uh, I I believe Obi-Wan had to stop him in that first meeting because he was just being a jackass. I don't know. I don't think you get to call yourself the chosen one until you win the MVP and a bunch of... uh, championship trophies in the nba yeah anakin's still coming off the bench at this point like he needs to i don't even know if he's the sixth man he needs to earn some more minutes um you know do some do some hustle stat stuff you know get some rebounds get some steals and he's sitting there just jacking from three he kind of reminds me of a jr smith i guess (laughs) jr smith is way cooler and has a better head on his shoulders (laughs) yeah that's actually fair um, so throughout the rest of Act 1, let's just go through this. Um, after the second assassination attempt on Padme, they decide to go back to Naboo. She's escorted by Anakin, which was a super dumb idea um, because you get creepy Anakin a little bit more. Um, Padme is obviously, she seems like she's a little bit resistant at this point, but I, it was hard to pinpoint a time when she, like, turned and started to fall for him too it was kind of a it felt like a flip of the switch type of deal um oh go ahead oh no i was going to agree um it just was all of a sudden once they were on naboo once she was unsupervised she's like oh yeah i really like these creepy advances i know like your ham-handed pickup lines and you levitating pairs across the table this is great yeah right maybe it was the the magic the magic mic stuff um, <laughs> so, um, Obi-Wan, he goes to this restaurant, meets this dope character named Dex, um, full name, I believe is Jex, or Dexter Jetster, um, he's a, he used to run missions with Obi-Wan back in the day, he needs, um, some info on the dart that killed that bounty hunter in the beginning, turns out it is a Camino saber dart. Um, so this leads Obi-Wan to his mission onto the planet Kamino, which appears to be just a, a planet surrounded uh, with ocean. Um, some Shout out to Destiny, friends. It looks just like the planet Titan. It does. <laughs> it does look like Titan. Um, I remember playing this uh, on Battlefront 2, I believe, is that map. It's a pretty dope map, actually. Um Anyway, the um, Kaminoans are these tall, long-necked, long-limbed aliens that are a little bit more like stereotypical extraterrestrials than what you would see from Star Wars. But during my internet deep dive, I found that um, apparently George Lucas was paying a little bit of a homage to his friend Steven Spielberg, who had um, done Close Encounters of the third kind fourth kind third yeah third kind um and he wanted to you know pay homage to him there um and then that's when we meet jango fett 
obviously not in his Mandalorian armor just yet. And then we meet baby Boba Fett, who's a fucking asshole. <laughs> Maybe the worst... I mean, the the romantic stuff is a really bad part of the movie. Jango Fett, as a kid, was just a dick. <laughs> yeah, he... So, basically what we find out here is that the Kaminoans... Um, on the orders of Jedi Master Sifo Dyas are creating a massive clone army for years. Um, and, you know, like the poor Kaminoans, they don't even know that he's been dead for like a decade. Um, basically around the same time that they discovered um, Anakin and um, Palpatine was starting to get into power. Um, that's when he was quote-unquote killed. Um, they're creating this massive clone army based off of the DNA from Jango Fett, and Jango wanted a clone that was unaltered in any way, so like a slowed down maturation process, which is why we have a little like 10 year old kid who is like a psychopath, basically. He's insane. Yeah, he not only is insane, but is insane just really vocally. Um, in a later scene where they're pursuing Obi-Wan, he seems to be, like, shouting, kill him. He has a bloodthirst. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he it's, wants blood. It seems, hands. like, over the top, too, because Django is going to shoot his guns and fire proton torpedoes, or I'm assuming that's what it is anyway. And it's, it just seems to be shoehorning Boba Fett into the movie. Maybe fan y And I think part of the reason he's so young is just to make the timelines work so when he shows up, Later in the original trilogy, the eight, well, I guess the size seems right and the timeline seems right where he'd be still like a, a lethal bounty hunter, but not like, not sold that he wouldn't be able to fall into that Sarlacc pit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they wanted to give him some dialogue, I guess, to make him seem like he was maybe susceptible to being a bad guy, but I think he gets all the motivation he needs. Um, in the third act, um, we'll obviously get to that, but let's start with Act 2, um, or at least where we have it marked down as Act 2. Um, so they are doing this little duel, um, Obi-Wan and Jango, it's a little bit more unconventional because it's more like hand-to-hand -hand combat, um, which, I mean, only because Obi-Wan can't seem to hold on to his fucking lightsaber, but... Um, Butterfingers. Right. <laughs> um, they're fighting, and then that's when we get that chase that we were talking about before with um, Boba Fett and, or Jango Fett and Obi-Wan to the planet of Geonosis. Um, and during this time, I guess kind of happening along the same timeline, um, Anakin is having a nightmare because he's been having nightmares about his mother Shmi, um, and Padme and Anakin make the ill-advised plan to try to go to Tatooine to figure out what had happened to her. Um, Anakin essentially does some spy work. He nails down who has taken his mom. It's these Tusken Raiders. Um, they took her from Owen Lars, right? It's Owen, right? That's not the kid? Or Joe uh, Edgerton? I, I don't even know. Uh, I, I can look this up real quick, but... Mr. Lars. <laughs> there we go. He freed her and married her, uh, but she was abducted by Tusken Raiders because he's a bad husband. And um, in captivity, she 
dies, I guess. Um, it's not really detailed what they've done to her, but apparently she must have just been, like, tortured. And then Anakin goes ballistic, and he slaughters an entire village of Tuscan raiders. Not just the men, the women, and the children, too! He cries to Padme, and she says, it's okay, Anakin. Yeah, Padme's kind of a garbage <laughs> person for that. And also, that line is so forced. It's just not... And this is kind of where uh, Clone Wars loses a lot of people. It's just... I don't even think... Hayden Christensen reads it as best as he, as he can. I don't think the script is great for this one. Um, it, it just... It's over the top. Uh, oh, I looked up the Lars family. It's... Kleeg Lars, C-L-I-E-G-G. That's the guy who says, Kleeg Lars, Shmi is my wife. They all have just garbage names. Uh, Owen is his son. <laughs> his girlfriend, who he says is his girlfriend, who doesn't say anything, uh, is Baru. Baru, B-E-R-U. Aunt Baru. Put yeah. in some minutes. I like Joel Edgerton as uh, Owen also. I think that's great. Good little cameo yeah. for him. I mean, I think they had to put them, them being the Larses in this, just to make it make sense, I guess, and make Luke's placement in the first movie on Tatooine at this random moisture farm make sense. Yeah. And, and I'm not totally against it. it it's fine. And uh, I, I found the Anakin biker scene a little bit weird. He's just riding around on a speeder. Uh, looks very much like a Orange County chopper motorcycle. He's wearing all black. <laughs> Uh, and he shows up and just t- kicks ass and takes names. Uh, finds his mom who dies, and she says, "I just wanted to tell you that I love," and then doesn't say you. So I don't. I, that's probably part of this. And again, Padme condoning him killing all these. I mean, they're not necessarily innocents, but the other part is I don't know how Anakin differentiated between the women, the children, and the males of. of it, it, they, well, they all look the same. It, it's CGI. Yeah, except maybe size. The only thing that we can determine from this is that Padme, um, she might just either be super racist against Tuscan Raiders and just is okay with their complete obliteration, or she's just chill with murder. Or I, Either way, it doesn't look great for Padme, and I think it's super freaking weird that she's just like, it's okay, Anakin. It's not okay. (laughs) It's definitely not okay. Uh, One thing I did note during the scene is that uh, when Anakin is talking about slaughtering all those men and women and the children was that um, a few of the notes of the Imperial theme played, and I think that's the first time I heard it in this series. Um, I don't... I'm sure they must have keyed it sometime during the first movie, but I didn't really pick up on it. Yeah. But you definitely heard the dang, dang, it, it wasn't all in order, it wasn't to the right time stamp, whatever, the right beat. Uh, and they did play it later in the movie, but right when Anakin was um, doing his thing, um, you, you heard it a little bit in the background when he was in that garage fixing things because it cleared his mind. Yeah, this is like, this is like, this scene is probably the most critical and important of the movie. Um, I th- it's just the biggest red flag. I had, I think I have it underlined, like, three or four times that, hello, he murdered a ton of living beings. And it's I can't remember. We'll get to this in the third one, but does Obi-Wan or anybody else really 
know about this, or is this like some sort of? Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, I, I think right during that scene, they flash back to the Jedi Temple, and Yoda was saying how he felt so much pain and suffering. I believe Mace Windu like kind of awkwardly walked in the room and did the cross-legged sit on that cool chair that is made for uh, cross-legged sitting on. Uh, and Meditating. Yoda, yeah, and Yoda's just saying that he felt a lot of pain, comma, and suffering, and it was, uh, I guess it must have been Anakin's suffering? I, I don't know. It yeah. didn't seem to, like, it if, played off as. if Yoda could sense uh, scores of beings dying, you'd think that he would have picked up on other things other than these Tusken Raiders dying. So I feel like he's picked up on Anakin's angst, I guess. Yeah, and this kind of just underlines my point here that I wrote down during Act 2, is that the Jedi Council are pretty incompetent. Um, you know, with the, all the the brain power they have on there, they have Yoda, Mace Windu, uh, Ki-Adi Mundi, Plukun, all these guys on the Jedi Council. And for one, they couldn't see a clone army being built for the past 10 years. And also they are just, I guess, sweeping under the rug that Anakin should literally just be expelled from the Jedi Order and not be allowed to um, train with them. I mean, maybe they didn't expel him because they knew that's just a one-way ticket to the dark side anyhow. But it's just, uh, they seem to gloss over this and it's a big deal. Yeah, um, there was a few points in this movie where I noticed that Yoda made hard eye contact at various characters. Like, he kind of was sensing what was going on, and I think that, look, if I say that he sensed it and other people agree that that's what his look meant, I'm sure that George Lucas would take credit for it. And maybe he did intend it, but there was, like, a point early in Act 1 where... um, not center. Palpatine was saying something and Yoda looked super hard at him and was just making a face where you're like, oh, he's sensing what's going on. And um, he did that during this scene. I think he did it during a later one as well. Uh, It just seems like, I don't know, they keep saying that their judgment is clouded by the dark side throughout this whole movie when it really doesn't need to be. Um, I don't know. It just seems like they're they handled everything the wrong way the most blatant example is just anakin i mean if yoda sensed this pain and suffering and yoda or uh, anakin comes back and he doesn't like so hey i felt uh you killing a bunch of dudes across the galaxy what's going on and what's just talk about? to <laughs> yeah uh this is gonna be on your quarterly review i just wanted to see what was going on <laughs> Yeah, he's he's been bitching the entire movie about being ready to take the trials, and you know, in one fell act, he definitely does not appear ready for any sort of stability. I also, in my internet deep dive, read that um, many believe Anakin to have a borderline personality disorder, and I was like, yes, like, yeah, I believe that, one hundred percent believe that, yeah. Yeah, it seems right. Maybe a little bit narcissist, but borderline seems about right. Um, there was a scene I really liked in this movie. Um, there were a couple in the first one, but um, that scene where Eric and, and Eric, when Anakin, 
uh, was going to slay those Tusken Raiders like a borderline personality disorder Jedi. Um, he was leaving the Lars moisture farm and he was telling Padme like, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go find my mother. And he walked out of that, uh, dome looking building, uh, on the barren tattooing surface. And when he was talking to Padme, the only thing on the screen was their shadows on the wall of that building. And then, uh, as he rides off the main, that star Wars, y not the main theme, but the Luke theme music was starting to swell as the sunset on Tatooine. I thought that was pretty cool and kind of a good callback to the first movie. Yeah. First, first movie being episode four. Also, um, uh, I get into a lot of my internet deep dive stuff here, but because you mentioned it, um, a little unintentional Easter egg in that scene when the shadows are on the little white dome. It's supposed to, to some people, look like um, the Darth Vader helmet just based on um, the way Hayden Christensen's head was shaped. It, it was apparently just completely unintentional by George Lucas, though, but um, still kind of a cool effect that they... They got that. Um, also somewhere, I believe it's when Anakin is tinkering around with wrenches and throwing shit. Um, Luke's, uh, Luke Skywalker speeder is in there somewhere. I didn't catch it initially, but I'd, I'd read that after the fact. They put that in there just, I mean, it's got to be there, right? <laughs> well, I'm sure. I feel like, uh, what's his name, Kleeg? Or Owen didn't really buy a, a new speeder. They probably just held on to the one, uh, pay the payments, and just own it. Yeah, moisture I farming mean, on a desert planet's got to be like a rough source of income. So they probably. I feel like it. that's avocado farming in Wisconsin. It's just not very <laughs> lucrative. Definitely not. Uh, not sure what even moisture farming is. They're farming moisture. Sucking all the moisture out of the air. I don't know. Anyway, um, so back to Geonosis, um, that's where the weird red clay planet that, um, Obi-Wan chased Boba Fett, Jango Fett to, damn it, how many times I get do that in this podcast? It's fine, it only matters for this movie. Mr. Fett, the Elder (laughs) Fett, um, chases him there, he discovers that they're up to something nefarious, and finally, an hour and 13 minutes into the movie, we get Mr. Christopher Lee as Count Dooku, um, so we finally get to see him in, uh, elongated Jaws capacity, where he doesn't show up until, like, two-thirds of the way into the movie, um, they're up to nefarious deeds, he tries to relay a message, uh, but Obi-Wan gets captured, um, Count Dooku tries to flip him, uh, obviously fails because Obi-Wan is a good guy. Best um, Jedi. Definitely. Um, this is also during a scene, too, where there's just more sloppy politics. Um, in Act 2, we have Jar Jar, who decides to take it upon himself to push for emergency Chancellor Powers, which is pretty much how Hitler also got into power. Um, yeah, Jar Jar Banks. Yeah, Jar Jar Banks uh, is responsible for all the bad in this world. Um, and it's really stupid because we talked about this when we were watching the movie that they did this because they were having issues doing some sort of emergency, um, I guess, 
wartime decisions, um, sign, having everybody sign off on something in the council. But this is actually a, a main backbone of the plot of the movie, in fact. Yeah. But that, uh, the, I mean, the attempt on Padme's life, the initial scene where there's the explosion on the dock was because she was like, she's a very big voice in the Senate and was opposed to this act to create the Grand Republic Army. Um, and then, I mean, that was, it didn't succeed. So the second thing happened with the weird poison worms. Um, yeah. But the- it, it, it just seems like this was the entire, I don't know. I'm sorry, go on. I interrupted you. Oh, I was going to say, the thing about this, though, is that nobody must have knew how the chancellor was going to vote because if they did, why would they vote to give him emergency powers if they know they're going to do something, he's going to do something that was allegedly against the majority in the first place. Um, so this is just, again, kind of sloppy politics, and I don't, I mean, Jar Jar Binks is the one that started that and inadvertently uh, gave way to the the Empire. <laughs> yeah, it seems like if so many different systems were willing to support giving the Emperor total power, it's very strange that it took Jar Jar Binks proposing it for it to happen. Yeah, that, that I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, we're moving on because that's not a huge point of the movie. It's more of a bigger point in the third um, but Anakin and Padme decide to go and try to save Obi-Wan. Um, they obviously fail. Um, so they are stuck on Geonosis and they're about to go to a trial, which is basically a gladiator-esque slaughter type thing on Geonosis. Um, it's so like this- the movie Gladiator, but in the Star Wars universe. Yes. And they're chained to giant posts. Um, this is kind of the start of Act 3, so they have these three creatures that are sent in basically to um, kill them and, I don't know, maybe eat them or something while they're chained to these posts. Tickle them. Yeah, something, I don't know. <laughs> That's way worse than death. Obviously, they break away, um, and this is when all hell starts to break loose, and Mace Windu walks in um, and just... He's just a badass. This is why Mace Windu is my favorite Jedi and why Samuel L. Jackson is awesome and why his purple lightsaber is the the goat of all lightsabers. Um, He storms in with a giant Jedi army to free um, just these three people. Um, Anything with the giant battle scene that we have here? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they definitely didn't plan storming the place that well in that they used all the Jedi first instead of this friggin' colossal clone army that they knew that they had, uh, along with all these ships that apparently were somehow built, even though, like, I don't know. they. I think uh, Yoda was late to the party with the army. Well, yeah, sure. I, and like, that is on him. He needed to set his alarm a little bit better. But, I mean, a bunch of Jedi died in the so. process. And, um... I mean, they were surrounded, and it was a pretty cool scene. Uh, it, Padme somehow held her own, despite being a pretty, pretty, pretty little chick with just a gun, and everyone else is like a pretty badass, either Jedi or bug monster. She never misses a shot, though, just like Leia, who never misses a shot. Yeah, it must be 
genetic, I guess. Um, <laughs> Those yeah, it, it was a cool scene. This was uh, significantly better. This and then the following battle scenes trumped the Naboo fight scenes, the, like the war scenes. And that's like one of the reasons I like this movie a little bit better than one was just because all the fighting is a little bit amped up, a little bit more, I don't know, cutthroat, I guess, versus Naboo, where it just seemed like all these Gungans are dying and no one really cares because Gungans are super duper annoying. And they have the worst weapons. Those Yeah, they have the shields and then just these the silly balls. Yeah, we talked about that ad nauseum in the first podcast. Um, but yeah, I have written down that Mace Windu ain't playing. He is there to fuck shit up, and he essentially just mercs Jango Fett, chops his head off right in front of his kid, um, and yeah, he's he's not messing around. And this kind of is what paves way for obviously Boba Fett to take that armor and take up the helm. I said during the watch that Boba Fett probably has his dad's head in a jar somewhere because Boba Fett as a child was fucking sadistic bloodthirsty animal yeah I think it takes a certain <laughs> kind of person to become a bounty hunter um, and I guess the clone of a bounty hunter is a pretty good mold in which to start and the Mandalorian Mandalorian armor is pretty dope looking and actually pretty functional uh, in one of the animated series Star Wars animated series the Mandalorians are a pretty badass race and so you can't really fault the, the Fett uh, father and son duo for using that pretty badass armor with the rockets. And that it seemed like it was almost like the Batman armor of the Star Wars universe just because it had like the utility I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it honestly was the utility belt. There's a flamethrower that was displayed on that scene on Kamino. Um, the claws that jumped out of the arms so uh, Django wasn't falling anymore. The jetpack obviously is pretty dope. He has a gun, which is, I guess, a little different than Batman, but overall, pretty cool armor. And I, I guess it's not—I'm not, not going to fault Boba too much for reusing the armor, repainting it, but reusing it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we can't forget about Count Dooku, who was obviously at this gladiator duel, um, but he flees without even drawing any sort of weapon. Um, they chase him down, they being Obi-Wan and Anakin, and they catch up with him in a hangar. Um, big scene here because this is just more of a display of uh, Anakin's arrogance. He does not strategize with Obi-Wan the way um, Mr. Kenobi wanted to, um, even though he, you know, Obi-Wan was basically just saying his plans out loud so Count Dooku could hear the strategy. Um, I think Obi-Wan at one point said, I can't take on Dooku without you, Anakin. And then once they get there, Anakin literally rushes in without telling anyone. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand. I, he was like super pissed off at Count Dooku, and I'm not sure where that rage and animosity towards him came specifically. Uh, um, uh, it was the flight there when Padme fell out of the, the thing, the plane. It wasn't a plane, but like the transport. Yeah, and so, then Anakin was saying, "Set the, set it down, set it down. We need to get Padme." But then I thought Obi Wan like calmed him down because then he finally got Anakin to confess that Padme would do her duty. But apparently, um, Anakin's just that personality disorder is just kicking in again, and he just 
rages at Count Dooku, who uses the Force Lightning to just send him off to the side, and then, boom, it's Obi-Wan on his own. Um, yeah, there, there was the one scene when they were flying in I, that we both laughed at a little bit. Uh, it's a little oh, yeah. bit morbid, but like right when they're flying in, Anakin and Obi-Wan jump off the transport, and the transport immediately explodes. Like, <laughs> it's just, they don't care about these clones at all. Like, even early on, they literally just met these dudes. They don't really know much about them. They're just willing to let them blow up. It's not yeah. great. It was it was just a super unnecessary, like, just big show of big, destruction. Like, oh, it was maybe supposed to be designed to see how close of a call it was for these guys. But it was just like... There's like 12 oh, dudes. Okay. Yeah. 12 Django Fett clones. <laughs> but anyhow, um, Obi-Wan gets cut up a little bit by Count Dooku. Um, oh, yeah. And then um, Anakin does the dope, like, dual lightsaber move which was pretty cool for a while until he got his arm cut off up to like the elbow um and then he was done and then in pimp walks master yoda with his cane they do a little force dueling as a as a preamble maybe doing a little stretching there and then they just go at it lightsaber duel the first time we get to see yoda in any sort of like physical action and um he's hopping around like a frog and spinning and just holding his own against count dooku even though yoda's what like 600 years old at this point yeah i think they said 600 in the later movies and it can't be much less than that in these he's just based on like a timeline thing (laughs) he's spry for an old fella yeah he definitely has taken his vitamins yeah, I, I always thought this, like, duel was pretty dope because, I don't know, it's always cool when you, you see somebody knock the dust off and just start showing you, like, exactly how powerful this person is supposed to be um, throughout, like, the entire Star Wars lore and finally being able to see that in person. Um, we see it a little bit more in the third movie, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like putting Yoda in a fight scene was pretty fan servicey, but also I think it served to set the table for why Yoda was such a big deal to begin with and why it made sense that uh, Luke went and trained with him in the other movies just because it's like, oh, this this Jedi was super powerful and wise, and there's a reason that Luke has a lot to learn from him. Yeah, independent of these movies too, Yoda's kind of portrayed as like a crazy old dude like, oh for sure like yeah in these first movies it. he's like a main character and in much of the canon he's like a main he's like the him and mace windu are the two biggest like jedi council members and in later movies he is just a crazy he's just some dude on a planet not a swamp planet yeah he's not exactly mr miyagi out there but he's he might know. be Mr. Miyagi out there. It's it's a pretty good analog. He's just like kind. Of, it seems like an old washed up Jedi guy on uh, Dagobah. Yeah, weird take on all of it. Um, but at the end, um, we see that Anakin already is starting to become less and less human because he has an animatronic arm, much like his future son Luke Skywalker, who has an animatronic hand. Spoiler um, alert. <laughs> yeah right um 
actually that happened in the second movie of that trilogy as well so drawn some good parallels there um they end the movie with wedding bells um anakin and padme get married in secret on naboo with c-3po and r2d2 as the witnesses because they don't count I don't think they count. That's like having your washing machine watch you get married and say that counts as a witness. Okay, Siri. <laughs> uh, Alexa, marry me. <laughs> okay, Google, be my witness. Um, yeah, and despite all the giant, just blaring alarms and big fat red flags, Padme wants to marry Anakin and keep it a secret which you know what should be stressful enough on a relationship as it is let alone having your uh new husband descend into madness and to darkness like that um roll credits made it through <laughs> yeah uh overall i like this movie better than number one how about you yeah this one was always my favorite in the og trilogy um or not the og just the the first prequel trilogy pg um, it's a post gangster trilogy yeah i always liked it i didn't wasn't really that big a fan of the third one because i felt like a lot of i mean we'll get to it obviously um it felt a little bit rushed and forced by that time um i think part of that had to do with i feel like maybe they shouldn't have started anakin out as a child um maybe yeah, it definitely feels like there's a big gap between maybe it didn't matter just when he was going through his whatever nine-year-old to 19 i guess 10 years later yeah. training uh, maybe it just didn't matter um in terms of the story since this is when it started to get really dark but it, it i don't know if it was good to go from oh this is anakin he's literally a child to this is anakin he's this horn dog 19 year old yeah I mean, they did leave themselves a lot of room for, like, some can canon stories. Um, you know, obviously, like, what happened in between Episode 1 and Episode 2, and then, you know, what happened to the Clone Wars, because I believe there's even a couple years of a gap between Episode 2 and 3. I'm not sure how much. There are. Um, so, in the... I think on Netflix... I don't know if it's still on there. There's a series called Star Wars Clone Wars. Star Wars The Clone Wars. It's like this animated series. There are a bunch of episodes. I think there was like two different series, but it's it, it's more Star Wars stuff, and it kind of just talks about more things that happened between two and three. That I mean, Anakin does like some more just dark stuff. They talk a little bit more about like Darth Maul, and apparently he's like a brother at one point. Um it just kind of talks more and explains a little bit more about the Clone Wars and the effect that had on the entire Star Wars, Star Wars universe. Yeah, for sure. Um, I always like when you can expand a little bit more um, on the world just through, you know, other resources and being able to do the research, not just like what is displayed in the movies. Cause obviously there can just be some holes in there. Um, one one of those holes, and uh, we should get to the deep dive segment here, even though I gave a lot of it away during the podcast. Um, a lot of the backstory for Count Dooku had stated that he um, essentially joined the Sith after Count Dooku, um, or 
Dooku. Count Dooku joined the Sith after Qui-Gon had died. So, Qui- or, so Count Dooku was still, I guess, on the light side throughout Episode 1, even though we don't see him anywhere. Um, but after that, he kind of lost a little bit of faith and trust in the Jedi Order. Um, that was enough to sway him over to the dark side. And that's why we have that one scene with Obi-Wan where it might look like Count Dooku doesn't know what side he's on when he's talking to him and tells Obi-Wan, hey, join me. Like, together we can take down the bad guys, basically. Um, Yeah, so I think we might have mentioned this in the first one, but um, Dooku was Qui-Gon's master. Uh, Qui-Gon was his apprentice. And you can kind of see that a little bit in the first movie, just since Qui-Gon is so, I guess, rebellious. He's not like a full, I'm the light side of the force guy. He's kind of like a gray, not light or dark. He's like a gray force guy where he is willing to like disobey some of the orders of the Jedi Council to achieve a greater good. And you can definitely see that Dooku isn't like totally, he he's on the bad side of this movie. He's definitely uh, an antagonist. But he was saying to uh, Obi-Wan when he was captured, like, oh, the the entire Senate is corrupted by the dark side. There's a bunch of these senators that are aligned with the dark side, and uh, he was trying to fix that. I mean, that's why they built that entire droid army, which necessitated the clone army, was just to force the Senate to the negotiating table to get some goals across. Yeah, definitely. Um, Speaking of Qui-Gon 2, I found um, in the deep space corners of the internet here. Um, Qui-Gon, so he can be heard his voice um, as Anakin slaughters Tusken Raiders. Um, I'm not sure if that's actually like in the scene or when Yoda is having this, you know, force meditation, like feeling the pain and the suffering. Um, I would have to go back and actually like watch that part. Um, but it's supposed to be actually Qui-Gon's force ghost. And this is yeah, I've actually heard that as well. I mean, I haven't heard the actual voice. I haven't listened for it that closely. Yeah. But I've heard this same thing, and I've heard people confirm that it's uh, Liam Neeson, Qui-Gon's voice that's crying out. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I th- think, as the legend goes, that Obi-Wan knows how to use, like, as the Force ghost once he dies. Um, which is why he knows that when he is struck down, he will become more powerful than Darth Vader could possibly imagine um, because of Qui-Gon, and he was able to figure that out. Um, also, the canon states that the Tusken Raiders were paid by Count Dooku to kidnap Shmi Skywalker, so this was definitely a long play to lure Anakin, who was already super vulnerable and super crazy, to the dark side. Um, Obviously, it just seems a little bit random in the movies, but um, I guess that was more overt in other canonical places. Yeah, I was actually going to say that uh, the MVP of this movie is definitely Palpatine. He seems to just manipulate every single person in this movie uh, to do exactly what he wants uh, and to get his power where it needs to be, where it can translate to him being the supreme Sith master in episode four. Yeah, only a few minutes of screen time, too. He's 
he's got a high usage rate in this film. Yeah, efficiency is super high. And it's all behind-the-scenes stuff, which seems consistent with his character. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, you said that Jar Jar is the one who forced the vote to make him the supreme chancellor. And, I mean, the reason that he did that was in that in the one scene, Jar Jar was sitting in with some session, and Palpatine said, uh, we need someone to make me supreme chancellor. If only uh, Padme were here, she'd whatever she'd have the guts to do it and it seems like that is what made jar jar even propose it in the first place because he's an easily manipulated more because he's the worst character in the star wars universe <laughs> um, I, and i mean there's that uh and i i feel like he's the one who kind of manipulated the entire situation with the separatists and the senate in the first place i mean he was telling we, we find out later that Dooku is his apprentice, um, and it seems like he was giving him instructions to give to the Trade Federation and the banking, whatever. All the, the bad guys who are... The easiest way in the Star Wars universe to tell that someone is good or evil is if they're an attractive character or not, which we kind of discussed. That's fair. Like all, the, all the ugly aliens are definitely bad guys. Uh, but it, it, they created this huge droid army to bring the Senate to the bargaining table, and it seems like um, Palpatine did that so it would necessitate the Senate having to, uh, I guess, legitimize this army that he knew was created already. Yeah. And, and I think that, I don't know, whoever, whichever side won that war, he would have had control over in some way or another, which is better for his empire-building long game. So... A little bit of non-Star Wars talk here, because I thought this was a pretty cool <laughs> point to bring up. Um, so this movie came out in 2002. It was, Best year. Yeah, it was a really good year for movies, especially going to the movie theater. Um, but throughout the entire year of 2002, it placed third overall at the box office. So if you believe that or not, for a Star Wars movie, it took third... Can you guess the two movies that took first and second in the year 2002 without looking it up? Oh, it's too late for that. Um, oh, damn it. <laughs> I would not have guessed Spider-Man. Yeah, so listeners, the two movies are Spider-Man, um, which had the biggest opening of all time as we've learned from, well, at that point from Entourage that we learned. Um, and number two was Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which is another sequel and also happens to be my favorite of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Maybe we'll do that one day. <laughs> uh, I won't. I'm not the biggest Lord of the Rings fan. Sorry, everyone. Uh, no, I'm looking at the top ten, and uh, I'm just looking at like original non-sequel movies. So number one was Spider-Man. Two was Two Towers. Three was this movie, Attack of the Clones. Four was Harry Potter 2. Five was oh. my big fat... Um, Greek Wedding. Uh, six was Signs. Uh, oh, seven was Austin Powers. Three. Eight was Men in Black. Two. A lot of sequels. Nine was Ice Age. Ten is Chicago. Jeez, you're the sequel. I can't believe Harry Potter was... I mean, I guess considering the heavyweights that were ahead of it, it's not too surprising, but... Spider-Man, yeah. uh, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars are... Uh, there's no shame in losing to those. Uh... Spider-Man had 403 million. 
Uh, next closest was Lord of the Rings, which had 339. Star Wars had 302 million. I mean, these are all just massive. I think, pretty sure from Entourage, we know that uh, Spider-Man set a lot of records. It was like 113 mil on its opening weekend. That's just like a that. lot of money. Yeah, that's a ludicrous amount of money. Um, and that wouldn't even crack the news in 2017 if a movie like uh, uh, Star Wars doesn't crack a billion. If the next Star Wars does not crack a billion, Disney's stock will drop. Yeah, that's it's super ludicrous nowadays. Um, so I saw Thor Ragnarok is coming out next weekend. Um, a Marvel Disney product, and that one already has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that movie is probably also going to be one that, you know, just cracks 150 mil and then um, probably tilt over 300 mil in the first, like, month or so. It's it's going to be crazy. And then, of course, once that movie dies down, we will get um, not only Justice League, um, which is another podcast series that I'm doing with Quinn, but Return of the Jedi, which is the or not Return of the Jedi, the last I Jedi. I, I can't wait for Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I can't wait for that to come out too. It's gonna be a good one. Um, no, the last Jedi. So yeah, I want to bring that box office um, little nugget up there because 2002 was already 15 years ago. It's crazy. Um, but you want to do some some quick casting here, some options for actors. Yeah, let's, let's do this. I, I only found some information on one in particular. We actually did cover a lot of characters in the first podcast for casting. But obviously, main one is Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Um, so here is a good list of people who are up for the role. Again, this is another one of those scenarios where like everyone in Hollywood was essentially rumored or at least talked about, but these were some key ones that I wrote down. So the list starts off. Paul Walker. Awesome. Ryan Phillippe. Colin Hanks. Christian Bale. Heath Ledger. And James Vanderbeek. Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's always that last one. There's always a good one in there that's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're all, they would have been fine. I, I actually thought Hayden Christensen did a fine job. I, he's not obviously the best actor out of that entire list. Yeah. But he wasn't given the best lines either. He did the best with what he had. Yeah, I mean, he did a, a good enough job, and he definitely conveyed the angsty feelings well and the ham-handed love dialogue, the shitty pickup lines better than... I feel like James Vanderbeek could be, like, too good at it, maybe. And, um, I don't know. He, he looked and felt kind of just, like, starved and desperate for love enough that he is a uh, convincing Anakin proto-Darth Vader. Yeah, Hayden Christensen does this weird thing with his eyes and eyebrows where he, like, his looks dead eyes. at you from them, and he looks, like, mad, but also that's apparently his flirting with Padme face which I think is super odd, but... It's I, called RBF, is what the kids are calling it. <laughs> um, I thought, when I was reading this list, I thought Ryan Phillippe would have done roughly the same job. Um, he probably would have been able to play that quieter, like, loner-type role. 
Um, Paul Walker, he would have been just too likable. Um, he probably would have had just too much charisma, and people would be like, that's not Darth Vader. I live life one quarter parsec at a time. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Heath Ledger, he probably would have just completely knocked this part out of the park. I don't think... He stole the entire movie. He would have, yeah. I don't think... It's weird to consider that he might have been up for this role, because I feel like that wouldn't have been in Heath Ledger's wheelhouse. I think the biggest movie he did and would have done was obviously The Dark Knight. Um, Brokeback wasn't supposed to be a huge financial success. It was more of an indie film, but I don't I don't know anything on um, Heath Ledger's IMDb that suggests that he would just want to be a part of a huge franchise like this. I do. Uh, so this was in 2002, we said. Uh, in 2000, he did The Patriot. Uh, he was Gabriel Martin. He was... Uh, Dope I can't. Yeah, it was a good movie. He was... Uh, God, why can't... Mel Gibson's, Mel Gibson's son. son. Yeah. Yeah. It was not a historically accurate film, as one of my history teachers once told me. Uh, no. In 2001, he was in A Knight's Tale, which I haven't seen, but I've heard good things. Same thing with Monster's Ball, also 2001. Uh, so 2002 would have been, I mean, another... I don't feel like anyone... Even if it's a, a terrible role with horrible lines, if you're in a Star Wars film, that's one of the biggest franchises ever, and there's not really any downside in that. I mean, Hayden Christensen only gets crapped on just because it's the only thing that people know him for, other than Jumper, which is also kind of low-key garbage movie. And Takers. The Takers was okay. I have no idea what that is. It's, it's like an ensemble <laughs> movie, essentially. There's a lot of other good actors in it as well. Um, including, um, shit, I believe, not Idris, is it Idris Elba? I think he's in that movie. Um, yeah, Idris, uh, Matt Dillon. Idris Elba? Yeah, Idris Elba. Matt Dillon, uh, Michael Ely. Chris Brown. (laughs) Christopher Brown. (laughs) Um, T.I. is also in it. Paul Walker is also in it. (laughs) Yeah, his, uh. Almost Why haven't anything. I seen this movie? I, I don't know. It's actually kind of a, a unique film. I don't know. It, it's all right. Sea breeze, <laughs> Um, But yeah, maybe this is just when Heath Ledger is... I don't know. Maybe based on the movies that you listed, he was veering away from the typical movie star trajectory because he was definitely on the the track to just doing all those, you know, typical movie star movies and then becoming a giant part of a big IP like this. And I, I just, for me personally, I feel like he just veered away. He, like, did not want to be a part of it. And the next big thing he did was The Dark Knight, but I, obviously I, we can't know if he would have shown up again for Dark Knight Rises, but... Yeah, I mean, I've heard of Lords of Dogtown and the Brothers Grimm, uh, Brokeback Mountain ended up being big, but yeah, you're right. The next, like, major commercial thing that he did would have been Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite almost casting would have been Christian Bale, um, because he definitely would have played, I mean, he would have played the the pissed-off, angsty, young Anakin super well. Um, he would have been able, I mean, he probably would have just stole the movie again, um, delivering lines like that. Uh, it would have been, uh, 
it should have been a no-brainer for Christian Bale. The opposite uh, end of that Dark Knight movie. <laughs> yeah, this would have been two years after American Psycho, um, and three years before Batman Begins, uh, two years before The Machinist. So a lot of just weird, um, really actory roles. I guess I can see what I'm getting at is I think I can see why Christian Bale turned this down. Only I'm sure he read the script and immediately burned it. I mean, maybe he didn't want to get pigeonholed as a psychopath for the rest of his career. <laughs> That's fair. <You> know? <laughs> Between American Psycho and The Machinist, it, and even Batman, I think everyone can agree, is not a totally stable person, psychologically speaking. Also, if you've seen him in American Psycho, I don't think you're buying the role after that, him being a alleged teenager. I don't know if he's selling that very well. Yeah, I guess they probably would have had to have made Anakin an older character if they wanted it's at least some of these potential castings to work. Yeah, and that could have worked. It would have just skewed the timeline a little bit more and made us a little bit more confused about the whole Padme Christian Bale yeah, thing. Yeah, I think Padme is... I forgot what I said in the first one. I think she's either... I think she's four years older than she is... Or what, then they say she is on screen, so they had a little bit of padding in there, a little bit of padding in there where she could have, where it could have worked. She's supposed to be like 14 in the first one, essentially, even though yeah. she's probably like a legit 18 years old when she was cast. She was. I think she was 19. I think I mentioned this at some point. I think she's like, there's a nine year difference between her and Jake Lloyd. And uh-huh. they're supposed to be four years apart, but they definitely look like they are nine years apart. <laughs> Yeah, they don't even look like they're in the same generation. Um, But ultimately, we did get Hayden Christensen, and I read that the majority of the reason Hayden Christensen got this role is probably not because he nailed the lines or um, tested really well. Uh, It was mostly because he looked good with Natalie Portman. Like, they they just photographed to get well together or they looked good on camera together yeah i would agree um i remember when i saw this movie in theaters that this is the point uh in which in my teenage years i became aware that natalie portman was an attractive female um and i guess in hindsight i wasn't like looking for this but like in christensen it's a good looking dude he's obviously tall he's got pretty good hair (laughs) good hair in the second or in the third one he's got that flow Nah, I, I'm going to go out. I was going to say that when you are talking about how his shadow kind of looked like Darth Vader earlier. I was going to say his hair in the third one is a little bit more Darth Vader-y just because it poofs out a little bit at the bottom. Kind of yeah. looks like a helmet. This one's just his, his head and his rat tail. <laughs> that dope rat tail with the Padawan braid combo. That's I don't know why it. that's not a bigger fashion still. <laughs> I would rock it. Ah, actually, no, I couldn't. My hair just curls too much. I um, just got haircut today, so I'm I'm nowhere near getting that rat tail. Feeling fresh. <laughs> I'm glad you got a haircut for the pod. That's dedication. Yeah, you gotta look good for these audio formats. Look good, feel good, sound good, good, sound good. There you go. Um, you already talked a little bit about the MVP, but uh, who's your? movie MVP you want to give a rundown 
Yeah, I mean, just given the screen time, it's very hard to give it to Palpatine. He definitely makes the biggest power plays and becomes a very influential person in the universe. Um, Maybe executive of the year. Yeah, I mean, in the real sense of who the most valuable player is, he wins. But, I mean, it's not like he's in this movie a whole lot. I guess my MVP would probably go to Obi-Wan. He just shows, like, that he is this super good Jedi uh, he's very true to the order. He follows the rules. He is always looking out for the Republic over himself. I mean, he's the truest light side Jedi that I think exists that you see before the collapse of the Republic. So I guess I would give it to Elon McGregor, the young Pope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I... I had a hard time thinking of an MVP, and to be honest, as I'm saying this, I don't even really have one currently. Um, I really want to give it to uh, Mace Windu, because he's my favorite Jedi of all time. And, that purple uh, lightsaber. He, that purple lightsaber, exactly. And I just can't help but feel, though, that he didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, he was a great um, you know, secondary score, maybe grabbing a few boards, but... Um, I guess I'd have to say the MVP is Yoda. Um, he comes in maybe just a few minutes late uh, with the clone army. Um, doesn't do a very good job of detecting Anakin's madness, but uh, he comes in clutch at the end. He hits the game-winning three, um, fending off Count Dooku, who probably would have just murdered Obi-Wan and you know taken Anakin semi-hostage and converted him to the dark side even earlier. Um, so Yoda bought us a few years with his great swordsmanship, his um, knowledge of the Force, and uh, that's that's the MVP. I'm going to go with Master Yoda. No guys. shame in picking the green guy. Definitely not. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got. There wasn't a whole lot in the deep dive. Um, I got and, some stats. Ooh, stats. Uh, so the first Jar Jar appearance in this movie, the first one, I think it was like 11 something minutes in this one, it's seven minutes and 37 seconds. God, Uh, quicker than the first one. Yeah. He is in this markedly less. That being said, uh, he still is in it. It's just too much. Yeah. And this time he has like legitimate power, which is alarming. Yeah, he was like a, a foe, like a wartime general in the first movie. In this one, he's a senator, and that's just not good. I mean, we see what happens when, when he's appointed. I'm beginning to understand why the Republic just completely fell apart. Yeah, I think we mentioned this in the first pod, the, the one fan theory that Jar Jar is like secretly a Sith, just in that he's in all of these scenes where the Sith rises to power and the Empire forms. Yeah, and then I related Jar Jar to Donald Trump and stating that he's too dumb to collude, basically. Okay, next stat. Uh, The phrase m'lady was uttered so many times, I thought all these characters should have been wearing fedoras. Uh, I think it was in here eight or nine times. Uh, It's it's a long movie, but it's not that long of a movie. It should not be in here that often. Yeah, It's just super weird. They have a weird mix of, like old formality that you could see on like game of thrones but somehow there's still not a whole lot of pecking order um i mean for example there's a a scene on naboo where anakin kind of like back talks 
Padme, even though she's like uh, a queen slash senator. I mean, she's still like somewhat royalty on Naboo, and uh, I don't know. It's just a weird mix of like milady and master, and um, but without any of the like rules of the formality. I don't know. It's odd. It just seemed weird. Uh, I think it seemed fine in the moment, but there since this has come out, there's that meme with the the chubbier dude with the neck beard and the fedora that's tipping his hat and going, "Milady," and that's literally all I could think of the eight or nine times this was uttered, and it was constant and, and very um, pronounced, I guess is my point. Can I give a, a little Game of Thrones Please. shout out here? Um, so there was an episode in Game of Thrones where they, um, this is back when I believe Arya Stark, the youngest, uh, daughter of the Stark siblings, um, she's kind of working as a cup girl for, um, Sir Tywin Lannister, um, and he is more easily able to identify her as somebody who's high-born based on the way she says my lord instead of my lord because those who are lower born kind of use it as like a um, mashed up slang by saying my lord so maybe all these guys that are saying my lady are not truly high-born or um, maybe that that's an identifier there too I don't know I just wanted to talk about Game of Thrones for like two seconds because I miss Game of Thrones yeah, I don't watch Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert for everyone, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why we're still friends. Yeah, it probably has to do with those McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have more stats? Uh, I don't have many more stats. Um, I guess I really only had those two, and one of them was not so much a stat as just a timestamp. But that being said, uh, do you have any favorite quotes from this movie? I have a few off the top of my head that I, I think we both laughed at immediately, but I wanted to see if you had any that you remembered from, from memory. From memory? Well, I was actually just thinking of this. I was thinking of more facts that I had found. Um, so the scene where Obi-Wan is trying to figure out where Kamino is, basically, because it was erased from the archives, um, he goes to Yoda, who's teaching a bunch of younglings um, the ways of the Force. Um, and Obi-Wan is just, for whatever reason, not smart enough to surmise that somebody had erased the planet from the archives, despite all the stars just kind of gravitating towards a blank central area. Except, Literally the first thing anyone thinks of. Yes, and a little boy was the first one to be like, um, Master, somebody erased it and i was just like obi-wan you stupid idiot like why did Duh. You know? <laughs> um but that little jedi his name is liam which is a supposed to be a callback to uh mr liam neeson uh, who played qui-gon in the first movie so i thought that was pretty neat interesting uh during that scene i was actually looking for i don't know the race um in the clone wars there's a character like one of the main characters is called ahsoka tano um and I thought I saw someone who was supposed to be the same race. It's the one with the two, like, uh, they all look, I think in the series they are all female, but they have those tentacles, two of them that come off the back of their head and go down. Oh, you're and talking now, about Ayla Sakura. 
Yeah, so a, it's Green that lady. race, but uh, a younger one. I, I, and I was looking, I thought I saw her, but I, I can't confirm that at all. That's simply conjecture, I suppose. Uh, just like uh, in the first movie where that uh, little alien boy on Tatooine, who's one of Anakin's friends, is supposed to be little Greedo, but that's not really confirmed. <laughs> yeah, same alien species, but it's very hard to tie these things together, I guess. Yeah, every alien is just apparently different, unless you're on Naboo. Um, I do have a favorite quote. It was uh, from Padme telling Anakin, please don't look at me that way. <laughs> oh, God. It, it kind of emblemized the entire romantic part of the story, quote-unquote romantic. It was romantic for them, not really for us. Uh, and I think he goes, why not? I, I like to. It's just not, I don't know. In light of a lot of the recent developments and the, the hashtag Me Too stuff, it's just not. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a fun scene to watch. It is really uncomfortable to watch. Actually, it's super weird. And then afterward, when he says, "Why not?" It's uh God, it's so creepy. It's kind it's of like, please, please don't look at me that way. Ugh, I'm a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> and she just straight up because it makes me uncomfortable. That's another reason for me why it just felt so weird that she kind of flipped and married this guy within like a matter of days. Within one episode. Basically. <laughs> Not very good yeah. at detailing. She was resisting hard. Oh, uh, that's what we didn't talk about. The um, the little house on the prairie scene. Oh my god, I don't even know <laughs> that. that. was... This is rough. I'm starting to like hate this movie, but I love the second movie the best out of the prequels, which is so. Yeah, for our listeners, at some point in the second act, once uh, Anakin and Padme are safely on Naboo, having fled the uh, the assassination attempts, they start, uh, I guess, warming up to each other. We'll say, uh, and it's just this weird scene, and it. They're just in this field, and Anakin's riding this, like, Naboo cow, and then <laughs> they tackle each other and, like, roll around in the grass. Even though they're not on a hill. Yeah, they just are rolling around on, <laughs> on flat land. It's <laughs> it's rough. Uh, a little bit nauseating. I don't know. They also have, like, a, a picnic during this scene. The only thing that I took away from that is Anakin talking about how everybody should just agree on one thing and then she's like well people padme's like well people don't always agree and she's like well so, and anakin says well somebody should make them she's like that's a dictatorship and i wrote down as a red flag like anakin just straight up advocates for dictatorship and like forced thought and no free will for decisions cuz he just wants everybody to do one thing and just do it which i red flag Hello, Ping, you're a politician, Padme. Yeah, that wasn't flirting. That was him just saying he wants to be Darth Vader. It's not, I don't know. He's that was him being his truest self. <laughs> not not a great look. Um, that entire wooing thing was just bad. It gets weird on Naboo. Because then there's that scene, too, where he's just like, fuck sand. I hate sand. It gets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's a very popular meme. I love that quote. The guy hates the sand. It's coarse. <laughs> gets everywhere. 
He has such an animosity towards sand. <laughs> he hates sand worse than those Tuscan Raiders. I don't think I hate sand as much as... Or I don't think I hate anything as much as Anakin Skywalker hates sand. <laughs> Which one of those actors you listed would have given the best sand monologue? I think I would probably go with Christian Bale, but... I don't know. Maybe James Vanderbeek would have uh, hated sand pretty hard. Yeah, I don't, Christian Bale would have probably made me hate sand as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know if anybody can actually deliver that line with any sort of sincerity and not make me go like, well, it's just sand, dude. Like, it's literally small, coarse grains of dirt. You hate yeah, he level. needs to calm down a little bit. Chill the freak uh, out, Anakin. Let's see. What else I have for quotes? I have uh, in the one bar, someone... The bar on Coruscant, I believe, uh, some youth offers Obi-Wan some, he says, want to buy some death sticks, which I guess is uh, uh, an analog for cigarettes in the Star Wars universe. Want to buy some death sticks. And uh, Obi-Wan goes just full Jedi mind trick and tells him he wants to turn his life around, which power move, but also death sticks is, I don't know, that might have been an anti-cigarette ad in a Star Wars film. It makes me wonder if Jedi are walking around like the uh, like Coruscant inner city and just getting like teens and troubled youths to just go on a different life path. I feel like they could change so many people. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to try a death stick just to see what it's like. But apparently, the death stick part was in there because George Lucas had such like an animosity towards smoking and like detested it as a habit and like that's why he just straight up calls them death sticks he's just like it's supposed to be actual cigarettes it's not supposed to be some sort of like weird like opioid like cocaine yeah see that's my biggest issue is that's the way that obi-wan reacted it seems like he (laughs) the way that he reacted and recoiled was like this kid offered him crack he's just (laughs) dude like like calm down it's just it's just nicotine. It's a bad life choice. It will kill you eventually, but it's it's not crack. <laughs> it's not crack. Um, any more quotes? Uh, I don't know if I have any, any more quotes. Uh, I did have one fashion note. Uh, I wanted to point out that the end of Act One, uh, right before Anakin and Padme are going away to Naboo, and right before uh, Obi Wan setting off to find Kamino. Anakin has uh, this poncho on, and he looks super good. That is the best Anakin look in the entire series. Yeah, otherwise, I mean, we, we talked about the, the costume design in the first one a lot, but in this case, he actually looks like he's... I want I to know, get that and Western? wear it. I, I don't know, yeah. Otherwise, um, Anakin just looks super out of place most of the times. I don't know, it's hard to describe. Yeah, I mean, Hayden Christensen pulls it off. I guess when I say I want to get that, I mean, like, in theory, if I looked like Hayden Christensen, I'd want to get that. But it's a good look for Anakin. Uh, You can tell he's, like, more relaxed. It kind of makes him seem, I guess, more approachable for Padme. (laughs) Yeah, and Padme's supposed to look low-key in this scene to kind of travel to Naboo safely without drawing any attention but she could not look any more like a rich person in this universe hey isn't that natalie portman i mean she's wearing like gold and a giant headdress yet and i'm just like okay like 
Shmi He's Skywalker traveling with a dude in a poncho. Like uh, yeah, we get some good examples of people who are, I guess, a little bit more down on their luck. Um, you know, with Shmi Skywalker in the first and second movie. At, she should know a little bit better. She should have dressed like one of her handmaidens. Oh, I misspoke earlier. I do have one more quote. Uh, it was one of the first ones in the movie, and we both laughed pretty hard at it. Uh, the quote was, I was wrong. I guess there was no danger at all. <laughs> God. Immediately before uh, the there's an attempt on Batman's life and there's yeah. a lot of explosions. That's like a why would you movie. say that? That's like a horror movie rule. Um, they go over that in Scream. You don't say I'll be right back because guess what? You will never be right back, and you can't say oh I guess there was nothing to be worried about. Well, I guess there's no danger. Then instantly there's going to be something to worry about. You idiot. <laughs> I feel like if whoever the bodyguard was that said that had not said that, had just simply bitten their tongue, it might have saved a, a galaxy's worth of trouble. He killed Rose Byrne, and I'll never forgive him for that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, well, that's all I really got. I'm really excited to talk about the third one, because I think that the... Revenge of the Sith is the one I Star Wars movie I've probably seen the least, um, other than like Rogue One and a new or uh, crap, The Force Awakens because obviously those just came out and I haven't killed myself watching them over and over again for the years. Um, but I th I've only seen it a couple times, so I'm kind of excited to dive back into that one. Yeah, me too. I like it because it has the most lava out of any of the Star Wars movies. Yes, definitely. We needed more lava. Get yeah, any movie with a lot of lava, Dante's Peak, Volcano, um, any movie like that tends to rank pretty highly on lists that I author. Yeah, more lava, less sand. Sand is coarse. It gets everywhere. Gets everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything, um, anything you want to plug in the meantime? I know you're going off to California, so it'll be a while until we can get the third one up and running, but, um... Yeah, I'll be out west. Uh, my flight leaves in, uh, looks like six hours, uh, so I should probably get some sleep. I had mentioned my, uh, my Instagram earlier, which was Raj15Podge, which is a terrible name, because someone took my Twitter handle, which is Raj, R-O-G, underscore Podge. Uh, you can follow me there. Uh, if you want to see pictures of an adorable cat, I follow uh, Buster in bow ties on Instagram. Otherwise, I don't really have any other uh, online publications. So I follow those if you want some more sarcastic tweets and cute cat pictures. Yeah, go follow Buster because Buster's just uh, Buster's a good boy. He is a good boy. He's extremely soft, very well mannered cat, <laughs> and he looks more handsome in a bow tie than I do, and it makes me upset. He owns more bow ties than I do. That's <laughs> absurd. He's a cat. Um, but anyway, this is Jordan, um, your host of the Pod Chat Show. Um, thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys taking the time, whether you're doing this um, while you're at work, driving home, at the gym, um, what have you. We just really appreciate the support because we're just trying to do some creative stuff. Um, learning on the fly. Um, I do apologize for that like white noise you may or may not hear i'm gonna do my best to get some different software to try to edit that sort of thing out um but anyway 
as usual, you can always catch me writing about fantasy football on faketeams.com. Um, I have a weekly article that goes up there. You can also do acmepackingcompany.com, which is um, a Green Bay Packers sports blog through SB Nation. Um, I, I'm not as happy with the way the Green Bay Packers season is going, but that is for a different podcast for a different time. Um, again, get this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher. I'm going to see if we can do something to replace SoundCloud, maybe Google Play or something like that. I'm not sure. I don't use Google. Um, oh, there's that picture that you just posted. I'm glad you did it <laughs> right away. Um, but, yeah, we want to thank you guys for listening. Um, and, as always, may the force be with you. I wake up today and I make you my lady. Girl, you drive me crazy.